Well, there's the symbolism and then there's the legal effect. I think just the symbolism that finally we're closer to all meaning all and that the Constitution protects women explicitly, finally, is important. But then I think it's we tackle the laws that do discriminate on the basis of sex and then start to get rid of them. That's going to take a lot of work, <laughs> but that's kind of exciting, making sure that everyone is at the table for that part of the conversation too. Black and white, straight or queer, rich or poor, everybody needs to be a part of that conversation because like women are as diverse as any other group and we need to make sure we are addressing the needs of all. You must remember that when the Constitution was written, that women were regarded as property. The struggle for an Equal Rights Amendment traces back to 1923 when feminist Alice Paul wrote the words that became ERA. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So as we march today, remember, forward together, backward never. If you could change one thing about the Constitution, what would it be? I would add an Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. Today, the House of Representatives cleared a hurdle to make the Equal Rights Amendment the 28th Amendment to the Constitution. The House voted to remove a deadline for states to ratify the amendment, which would guarantee women the same legal rights as men. Kate Kelly, human rights attorney, feminist, and advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. And this is Ordinary Equality. This season, we've covered a lot of ground. We talked about the early history of the ERA, its sometimes problematic champions, the anti-ERA movement, the amendment's death by deadline, and its modern resurrection. I shared how my personal perspective on the ERA has shifted over time, and we've been able to follow together the progress happening on the ground right now. In this season finale, we're looking ahead. You'll hear new and familiar voices talking about what it will mean to them when this gets ratified and what happens next. After all, the amendment really is just the beginning of a whole era of work to ensure legal gender equality is reality in this country. It will be a platform upon which we build a scaffolding of robust protections for all of our rights. Before looking to that future, let's tie up some loose ends. We've talked about the issues that stand in the way of the ERA officially getting added to the Constitution. Pro and anti-ERA states are taking that battle to the courts. Here's Virginia State Attorney General Mark Herring. Well, under Article 5, the last thing that has to happen is that the 38th state ratifies it. And there's a simple process where the clerks of the House and the Senate in Virginia and or any state when they ratify an amendment sends some certification to the National Archivist that they have ratified the amendment. And when 38 states have done that, the archivist's job is to certify that it's a part of the Constitution. It's really 
it, it is a part of the Constitution when that 38th state ratifies it. And so we feel like nothing more is needed. It is a part of the Constitution right now. And uh, strangely, the Trump administration seems to have concocted a scheme to try to thwart the will of the people. And they feel so strongly about opposing women's equality that they've interjected themselves into something that the Constitution doesn't give them any role to be involved in. You may remember from previous episodes that despite the fact that the required 38 states have now ratified, the Trump administration told the National Archivist specifically not to certify those ratifications and not to publish it in the Federal Register, which is the official way we know it's finally part of the Constitution. Because the Archivist isn't doing that at the direction of the Justice Department, we have decided we're going to court. And so two other states, Illinois and uh, Nevada, the 36th and 37th states to ratify it have joined. Um, so the attorneys general from those states, uh, Aaron Ford in Nevada and Kwame Raul in Illinois, have joined in our lawsuit as the three most recent ratifiers to ask a court to declare that it is a part of the Constitution. There are broadly two arguments Mark is fighting against. One, the deadline, and two, the fact that some states have tried to rescind their ratifications. Mark says neither objection holds water. Article 5 of the Constitution governs the process for how to amend the Constitution. And it's really pretty simple. It gives Congress two jobs. First one is, it says that Congress gets to decide whether to put an amendment, proposed amendment to the states for consideration. And then the other is uh, what the mode of ratification should be. Is it uh, state legislatures or state conventions? And that's really it. And there is no time limit put in the Constitution, nor does it empower Congress to set a limit on when a state can consider or ratify the amendment. And so that's why this notion of a time period is completely misplaced. The ERA that the states voted to ratify didn't even have the deadline in it. The deadline language was in a preamble that wasn't voted on by the states. When it comes to the other argument, rescissions, there's precedent that says rescissions are a no-go. You know, there were a couple of other amendments, 13th and 14th, where a couple of states uh, purported to pull back their ratification or rescind it. Those were never recognized, and they shouldn't be recognized now for the Equal Rights Amendment. I use the word purported because in Article 5, it talks about states being able to ratify the Constitution. And it nowhere uh, authorizes states to rescind or withdraw a ratification, whether it's before or after. And there are some uh, indications with correspondence from some of our founding founders, Hamilton and Madison, that when constitutional provisions are adopted, they're adopted in total and forever. While Virginia, Illinois, and Nevada have filed in U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia against the archivist of the United States, who's essentially the guy holding this whole process up, 
Alabama, Louisiana, and South Dakota are fighting for the opposite. The issue will likely go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Alexander Hamilton and James Madison and the other drafters of the Constitution made it clear in Article 5 that the Constitution can be amended. And they explicitly said the way to do that was through Congress. The courts had nothing to do with it. That may make the Supreme Court decision on the ERA more interesting than the typical ideological divides of the court. Conservative legal scholars typically give credence to the original intent of the framers of the Constitution. So I think it's going to be interesting as this case works its way through the courts. Those conservative judges and, and jurists and justices maintain their consistency about reading the plain language of the Constitution and applying it, or will they read into it words that aren't there because they are opposed to women's equality? When Virginia ratified, that key battle was over, but the war was far from done. This may take a while. Still, we're closer than ever to getting this thing finally added to the Constitution. When that happens, it will impact our whole legal system. I asked many of the people you've heard from all season about what it will mean to them personally for the ERA to be ratified. Virginia State Delegate Jennifer Carroll Foy was instrumental in Virginia's ratification. Here's what she had to say. The Equal Rights Amendment means to me freedom. When I think of the Equal Rights Amendment, I truly think freedom. I truly feel as if as a woman, I have been relegated to second-class citizenship. And how do I know that? Because the Constitution says so. Because the law in this country says so. That I could win a sex discrimination case in state court because there's a state equal rights amendment and I will lose in federal court every time because I am in second class because of my gender while race, religion, and national origin is in first class. The only thing we're asking as a gender is to be moved up to first. That's what we're asking. So I think it's very clear. And some people say, well, it's just symbolic. And I say, well, symbols matter. The Statue of Liberty matters. The United States Constitution matters. The, the flag of the United States matter. And when a young girl opens her pocket constitution and she sees that she's in there and her human rights as equal to men is protected in the United States Constitution, I think it speaks volumes. I think it's impactful. I think it gives her hope. I think she can see herself uh, with no ceilings and endless opportunities um, and boundless success because there are no shackles that's been placed on her because of her gender. Some of the people I spoke to talked about how this will be a celebration of a century of hard work. This year is the centennial of the 19th Amendment, which legally gave women the right to vote. Senator Ben Cardin from Maryland compared the magnitude of passing the ERA to that moment. To me, it would be a bright moment in that path towards equality. Uh, we know it's a struggle. We know those who have given so much in the past for this, for this moment of when we, America really lives its beliefs of equality. This would be a major step forward. Even with the passage of the Equal Rights Amendment, we're not at the finish line, but it is a major m m moment, as the women's suffrage was a major moment uh, in America carrying out its, its belief of equality. 
others talked about how meaningful this will be for future generations. Here's actor Alyssa Milano. I'd be able to just look at my daughter and say, you have the same rights. You have the same legal recourse as, as any man or as your brother does. Um, that's huge for me. I mean, the fact that I could potentially see this pass in my lifetime and, and be able to look at my daughter and know that she's going to be okay, it's, it's big. It's big. It brings tears to my eyes every time I think about it. When the ERA is all squared away, the movement's work will enter a new phase. Here's Ellie Smeal, president of the Feminist Majority. Well, the first thing is that it takes two years to take effect. In those two years, we will be examining the laws that are discriminatory. There's still a lot of discriminatory laws on the books, not only in the national level, but at the state level. I think that it will give us an ability to reimagine what is fair and what is equal. Changing discriminatory laws and imagining a new legal future will mean bringing together a broad coalition. And I want it to be also very collaborative with the LGBTQ movement, with the movements against race discrimination, ethnic discrimination, immigration discrimination. I think all of these kinds of unfair, um, unjust treatments weakens the society as a whole. And so I want us to work together. I mean, let's face it, if we get more strength to fight the income gap, it will help not only women, it will certainly help those who are being cheated the most, which would be black women or Latino women or this whole thing with undocumented immigrants, et cetera. So I, I want us to stop thinking of it as a divide and conquer works anymore. We gotta end that. We have to work together to form a more perfect union. We'll be right back after this short break. Hey, it's Kate, and I want to tell you about a show from the Vox Media Podcast Network. It's called Pivot. It's hosted by Recode's co-founder and editor-at-large, Kara Swisher, and NYU business professor Scott Galloway. Every Tuesday and Friday, Kara and Scott break down major news stories of the week and take a sharp look at how they're changing the way we communicate, vote, shop, and live. You can expect razor-sharp insights, bold predictions, and a declaration of the week's big winners and losers. Kara and Scott banter and bicker at the speed of your Twitter feed, and the show is as hilarious as it is informative. So subscribe to Pivot with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway for free in your favorite podcast app to get new episodes automatically. The modern, revived ERA movement is, and must be, an intersectional movement. Here's Virginia State Delegate Danica Rome. This has to rise the boats of everyone throughout the sea. It can't just be good for one group. It must be good for the whole. And I believe this will. And when we advance equality like this, it's not coming at anyone else's expense. And that's one of the other things that we have to really make that point about. We are doing this in an inclusive way because for men, this doesn't hurt men. It helps women. It helps 
non-binary folks. It helps everyone be equal. For too much of its history, the women's movement was not inclusive. That started to change, and that progress must continue for the younger generation to get involved. Here's Jamia Wilson, executive director of the Feminist Press and the ERA Coalition advisory board member. One thing that was pointed out to me from our foremothers in the ERA movement who we work with intergenerationally was that part of the reason so many of us didn't see a place for ourselves in the ERA movement was because the stock photos that the media had been using for many years to talk about this issue are stock photos of white suffragists and stock photos of women who are many years older than ourselves and people even younger than ourselves, and that they haven't really diversified the image of the ERA since its inception or in the early 80s. And to think about media sexism as it relates to the packaging of this narrative and how it shaped hearts and minds and our understanding of ourselves and what's possible. And I like that this has now been named because it can now be addressed to really think about how we can get the media to actually focus on an intergenerational narrative about the ERA, why the ERA is so important to the next generation, how it affects college funding, how it affects rights related to reproductive health and justice that would affect people of reproductive age, all of those things that need to be connected to the issue but haven't been illustrated in the face of the ERA that we've received throughout time. And I like to point out to people just how many young women and also women of color are at the forefront of leading the ERA conversation because there's also a sort of writing off of that conversation because people have information, misinformation about uh, the conversations about racial justice that are happening within the ERA. Building on the foundation of the ratified ERA is going to be the work of women's rights activists, attorneys, and legislators for the next century. For gender rights to expand, that means we're going to have to get young people into the fight. The ERA movement has not been a young person's movement since the 1970s and 80s. But I can't overstate how important it is to figure out how to appeal to people who can take up the mantle. Just like with the 14th, 15th, and 16th Amendments, progress will only come if people actively fight for it. Otherwise, it's up to the Supreme Court interpretation. Here's Maryland Representative Jamie Raskin, my former constitutional law professor. Now, I should say, I hope this is not undermining our argument or anything, but you also have to have the right court and the right justices because you can have the greatest language in the world. Um, but it means nothing if you have reactionary justices. I mean, we had equal protection under the 14th Amendment in the Constitution when the Supreme Court ruled in Plessy v. Ferguson in 1896. Three decades after it was added to the Constitution, after the Civil War, the Supreme Court said, oh, it's totally fine to segregate blacks and whites on the train cars in Louisiana. No problem, because that uh, upholds the mores and the customs and the usages and the traditions of the people. I mean, if that's all the Equal Production Clause means, it means nothing, because if the mores and the usages and the traditions of the people are racism or sexism, then the Equal Production Clause doesn't mean anything. You've basically subordinated the Constitution to racist practices at that point. Put it this way, 
it may not be sufficient to get you everything you want, but it, the language is necessary to get you what you want. Part of the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to help get the word out about how important this is. We have an opportunity to make real and lasting change now and for future generations to come. Unfortunately, 80% of Americans falsely believe that women are already in the Constitution, but they're wrong. And we have to let them know. With the help of grassroots organizers, influencers, and legislators, the ERA is back in the news. And in some places, young people are starting to join the cause. My name is Amelia Couture. I am 18, and I am the Outreach Director for Generation Ratify. So Generation Ratify is a youth-based movement um, based in Virginia, youth-led, based in Virginia. Um, and we're trying to get the Equal Rights Amendment ratified. Amelia's sister Rosie was 15 when she started Generation Ratify. She roped in a bunch of her friends, and their movement started to grow. Amelia said the broader lack of young people in the ERA movement is based on a lack of education and awareness on the topic. Well, I think one of the things that attracted me to the ERA is the fact that I didn't know that much about it before my sister brought it to my attention. Uh, and as recent elections, such as the appointment of Donald Trump and then also Brett Kavanaugh have shown us, like it's not necessarily a safe legal system that we exist in anymore, and so it's important that these protections are in place. Um, and I'd say that a lot of people who know about the ERA who are younger are deeply informed, but the quantity of them is not substantial. So a lot of people who know about it are really interested in it, but most people don't know about it, and that's a problem. I said there is a big basis for this work that I discovered when I learned about the issue and people who have been doing this work for a very long time, uh, and we saw the gap in reaching younger people, um, especially younger people who are super empowered. I think March for Our Lives did a lot to kind of show us um, the structure, like organizational structures that can be used um, and that can be very powerful. Most people who are a part of Generation Ratify can't vote yet, you know, so this is kind of the way that they can use their voice. It's been really exciting for me as an ERA activist to see people much, much younger than me get involved. After under a year from their beginning, Generation Ratify already has chapters in 10 different states. They're on fire. Amelia said they're contacting existing political organizations at high schools and colleges about the cause. And they're reaching out to young people where they are, in person and especially on social media. Generation Ratify is really creative and active online, particularly on Instagram and TikTok. And I think that's a problem within the ERA movement itself is that younger people are not being connected to, which is why uh, Rosie and I and everyone else on the executive board saw the need for this organization, because like, it's not something that younger people will seek out if they're not aware of the issue. So you have to go to them. Um, so we have used the Internet, email and social media as tools. We're also always looking for more ways to get youth involved. So yeah. like like I said, it's a very we have a very flexible mentality. Like we try things out and if it doesn't work, let's try another thing. But if it does work, like great. The getting youth involved is an issue that everyone, I think, struggles with. But because we are youth ourselves, it's like a lot easier. We all have an opportunity to help spread the word. Whether you're a full-fledged celebrity with a massive following like Alyssa Milano, or you're working with a smaller group of people you regularly interact with, you can use social media for good. Here's actor Alyssa Milano on that point. 
with social media, everyone has a platform. Every single person is responsible for their for their followers, for the content they put out to their followers. Um, and it doesn't matter if you have 200 followers or 2 million, that is your community. Um, you're setting the tone, you're giving them the information um, that you want out there. So, you know, I think it's important to remember that we we all have the platform. It's it's just what we what we do with it. The times we live in now are overwhelming. It's hard to know how best to help, how best to spend our limited time and resources. When it comes to getting the biggest, most long-lasting bang for your activist buck, you can't get any bigger or better than the ERA. It's not a piecemeal policy that will impact a handful of people. The ERA will positively alter the legal landscape for every single woman, girl, and person of a marginalized gender in this entire country forever. Based on my lived experience, I know for a fact that each of us can have a major impact on our immediate communities. If you've been along for the ride from the beginning of the podcast, you'll know that the community I grew up in was far from down with the ERA. My mom and my grandmother actively fought against it in the 1970s. My work, activism, and willingness to talk about difficult topics has helped to change opinions of those around me. I'm just one person, but I'm a constant missionary for the cause I believe in most, gender equality. Coming full circle, I asked my now ERA supporting mom, living proof that people can change and evolve their political opinions, what she had to say to the people who haven't come around to the idea quite yet. To me, it's the symbolism of saying women are equal. Why are we afraid? I think you need to ask yourself this question. Why are you afraid of women being equal to men? Why does that scare you? I mean, I've lived my whole life in a marriage that is 100% equal, and it's been a pretty wonderful life. So I think you need to ask yourself that question, what are you afraid of? And then look at, at the results that happen from people's lives when they treat everybody equal. What's wrong with letting people be who they are? It's a wonderful world <laughs> when you let people be who they are. And um, there's, there's nothing to be afraid of. The thing that I think a lot of uh, religious groups are afraid of is, oh, well, you know, it'll take away our religious freedom. That's absolutely 100% not true. There's a thing called the First Amendment. And it's, it's the First Amendment for a reason. I mean, it's an important right. You get to believe what you want. If you don't believe women are equal, you can still believe that after the Equal Rights Amendment passes. You can still believe it in your heart, in your home, in your church group. But you know what? You shouldn't be able to force everyone to believe that and to act that way. So to me, it's a matter of asking yourself, what are you afraid of? And is that really valid? Because um, that's one thing I've, I've learned in my life, um, is that letting people be who they really are is the most joyful, the most wonderful way to live. 
That's how my mind was changed. This concludes the first season of Ordinary Equality, but the fight for the ERA is far from over. Stay tuned for more bonus episodes, exciting interviews, updates, and more. Thank you so much for coming on this equality journey with me. Forward together, backward never. Ordinary Equality is a Wonder Media Network production, edited and produced by Liz Smith, executive produced by Jenny Kaplan, with support from Edie Allard and Louisa Garbowit. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Wardell. Special thanks to my employer, Equality Now, an international human rights organization that works to protect and promote the rights of women and girls all around the world. To learn more about what you can do to support the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment, check out equalitynow.org backslash E-R-A. To follow along our journey, find us on Twitter at Ord Equality, O-R-D Equality. And if you like our show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to lifting up underrepresented voices based in New York City. Do mediums really see dead people? Can our solar system determine a person's luck? Can Satanism be feminist? On Beyond Belief, a new podcast from Wonder Media Network, host Jericho Mandiburg offers spiritually curious listeners a safe place to question and to consider ideas, theories, and practices of some of the world's leading non-traditional spiritual thinkers. Jericho takes listeners on a journey to learn how society's weirdos believe, and we discover maybe they're not so weird after all. Featuring topics like satanic feminism and dolphin communication, Beyond Belief gives listeners an opportunity to suspend skepticism and embrace the spiritual. Listen to Beyond Belief on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.